Hey, will you get your ugly mug off my screen? Yeah, take that away. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. I had an idea. I don't know. It's probably not going to fly this morning, but you guys want to hear my idea? Yeah. Yes. So remember a long time ago that we had a challenge on the podcast to use a certain word, but then oh, yeah. Mets and I didn't know what the word was mm-hmm. or what it meant. Uh, well, I thought at some point we should add a little friendly competition to this and we should like each write down like predictions slash goals to get the other ones talking about, hmm. but not tell each other what it is okay. and then reveal it at the end of the episode of like, <laughs> like, Oh yeah, actually that was just my plan the whole time to get us on to get serious to talk about Rocky and Mount Athos. Exactly. <laughs> so I would drop something like I would probably, how I would do it is I would say something that's like, about Rocky, but incorrect to the point that I know you couldn't handle <laughs> yeah. it, even even if you knew what I was doing, right. and then I would win. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Yeah, and, and then to get you talking about Ma- Mount Athos, I could probably literally say anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All roads lead to Mount Athos. Is that is that how the phrase goes? That's true, actually. Actually, Except I don't not. know if there are any roads. No, I don't think there are any roads there. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just like um yeah, it's just like when Rocky beat Apollo Credence, you know? Like that was uh, <laughs> like just like when he beat Apollo Credence. Uh, and then he started a band called right. Creed. Yeah. Credence Credence Clearwater, Clearwater Revival. <laughs> okay. Which was the beginning mission statement of Mount Athos. All right, you goofballs. Hey, I did have an observation this morning. So I'm 29. I have like 50 degrees. No, 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 no. You got to let me finish. On 364 days of the year, your age. I'm 29. I have about a zillion degrees. (laughs) Degrees. And I'm currently living in my parents' basement. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're back in Hotlanta. I'm back in Hotlanta. Got back, um, let's see, a couple days ago, and graduated. Even though I wasn't at graduation, which is congratulations, I, by the way. That congratulations. is quite an accomplishment to do that. So in you're one year. you're done. Everything's I'm done. Totally done. I'm totally moved out, and I'm waiting for my assignment here in Atlanta. Wow. And and you have an STL, so it's Father Mike Metz, comma STL. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is silly but you're signing your you're signing all your letters that way right for sure it's in your email right dude i still sometimes i forget to write father like the fr so i'm definitely i have signed nothing stl i like can't even remember the initials before my name mm-hmm. so one step at a time but man i'm like out of breath i was kind of running around this morning um I so I'm in in my parents' basement and uh, got to hang out with my family last night and hang out with some of my siblings. 
earlier in the week when I got down here was like helping him prepare. One of them is moving. And so we were preparing his house to move his family in. And, and then last night I came up to the big family house and we got to hang out together and just chat with all my siblings and just a great time. But then this morning (laughs) I woke up and wanted to see them out to school. And (laughs) it's, really wild. I don't know if y'all can even imagine what this is like, but, or if this was similar to you, trying to get a large number of people, mostly children under the age of 15, I guess. Yeah. Under the age of 15 out the door in time for school at like seven in the morning mm-hmm. can be a very challenging process. And so I woke up this morning and was trying to see all of them out and like, say goodbye. See you guys. It was great to see you. And thinking it would be like this kind of fun, enjoyable. <laughs> like a cup <laughs> like, of coffee oh, in your hand, just kind of. Yeah, we're all hanging out, ready to go. Go over well, the horizon. That's obviously not how it went. You know, people, were, I think they're supposed to leave at 7. And at maybe 7.08, I hear somebody upstairs. Mom's like, it's time to go. We got to go. And I hear somebody upstairs go, I can't find my pants. <laughs> 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 like, oh man. And so she so she's yelling, Well, you're gonna have to run down the hill, which means our our backyard matches up with our neighbor's backyard. So they would be like the backyards would be facing each other. And the road that you have to take to get out of the neighborhood passes from our house and loops all the way around the neighborhood and then crosses in front of our back neighbor it crosses in front of their house so if you run through our backyard into their backyard you can actually hit the van as it passes like out the neighborhood <laughs> and so it's like your one last ditch effort yeah that's your last <laughs> right. if you run through the backyard you could possibly like yeah intersect the van it's about a minute that's about how long it takes to get from our house loop around the neighborhood to get to our back neighbor's Man, house. Man, at that just, age, I was there so often. Just like, oh. I need one more minute. I'll t- I'm gonna, <laughs> Dude, I've left myself that much wiggle room that I'm going to need that extra 60 seconds. Totally. I So that's basically what happened. I was like, I cannot tell you how many times I jumped the backyard fence because... <laughs> <laughs> and and still forgot stuff like I never knew where anything was and so <laughs> so it ended up being funny like I'm just kind of laughing at everything and because I'm not a part of that but then sure enough <laughs> here comes time for the podcast and I'm like scrambling to pack all of my stuff <laughs> to go to this mission trip afterwards which I tried to do last night but it's like some extra stuff still going on and um and so my thought was like, I, it was painful to watch my siblings, not like brutally painful, but it's, it's painful to watch them like panic and then like run around. You have like binders in their elbows and like a ton of papers underneath their arms and their backpack is like barely hanging onto their shoulder. And they're running through the backyard with like the shoes where you didn't get your feet all the way in. And so you're mm-hmm. crushing the back heel of it. <laughs> And so they kind of look like flip-flops and they're like shuffling through the backyard. <laughs> like and they're so miserable and they're like yelling at mom like please slow down, don't let me miss school. <laughs> I, I remember doing that 
literally 50 times a year. No joke. <laughs> Easily. And like, it was so miserable. I hated doing it. But you know what? They weren't ready last night. They stayed up and watched like some episodes of Psych or something. And and because of that, they weren't able to to literally find pants and just put them out. <laughs> that was it. And so it was like this little preparation that could have saved a lot of heartache. You know, 15 minutes of searching for pants that are probably somewhere else. Um, and the thought occurred, it just struck me like, what does it take to actually learn to actually learn a lesson? Huh. Because <laughs> I can remember doing that. No, I every year, every single year until I was probably in college and even through college. It's like it was such a little thing. And I can remember even my dad saying, like, Mike, all of this heartache would be saved if you just took like two minutes to prepare <laughs> before you went to bed. Just locate stuff. Yeah, when your and, mind is clear and you're not in a rush. Yeah, and obviously, like the point isn't isn't so much about needing to prepare, even though that would be that's true. It's how how many times or how much misery does it take to finally say, "I'm not going to do this anymore." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so that was just kind of the thought that occurred to me this morning. Well, as humorous as that is, it's kind of a deep question, actually. Yeah. About There's so much that I do that's self-defeating. Um, I've gotten better at the planning thing, I think. Like I have a few. This past weekend, I had a couple special masses at Quintanera and a wedding anniversary. And this coming weekend, I have another wedding uh, off-site. And, you know, I learned my lesson a couple times as a priest, like not being real prepared with the readings and having everything in order. And then like the day of or an hour before the wedding starts, like scrambling around trying to find who's going to do this reading or who's going to do that. And just making sure that I have my head on straight so that the liturgy goes well. And if you don't do that beforehand, then you're, then you're fretting during the whole mass thinking like, okay, what's next? Okay. Did I get that? Oh, oh, darn it. I forgot to bring the holy water out to bless the rings. I better figure out some time during the mass that I can sneak into the sacristy. And it's just like, ugh, this is no way to, to celebrate a sacrament. So I've gotten better at printing out everything, thinking through everything like on a list. But there are still things like, I mean, the staying up late, you know, when am I going to stop doing that? When am I going to grow up? And I mean, it gets better year to year, I think. Um, and I still, now I have this like, morning routine or evening routine that's non-negotiable and that helps create order but yeah when you're a teenager dude your life has no order every day is like it's a blank (laughs) slate like i have learned nothing from yesterday and everything is just (laughs) i'm naked habit right now and i can't change so it takes a really long time that's the whole uh that William James, a quote I've said before, where they asked him if he believed in the immortality of the soul. And he said, I'm starting to think it, it's true more and more because I'm almost dead and I've only just now learned how to live a good life. Mm. It seems like a waste. Which, uh, I mean, that gives me some hope that maybe in like 40 years I'll learn how to live a decent day and not <laughs> not waste time or or whatever. But... And I don't, I mean, it's not just being productive, but that's part of it. 
but just like using your time well and attending to things that need attending to instead of distractedly just reacting to whatever comes up, you know? Hmm. What does it take to learn a lesson? Yeah. It's, I was thinking of, um, did you guys hear Father Sean Kilcally's talk at Seek? Yeah. I, I, thought I heard it, his second one. I can't, okay. Well, I don't remember. I went to one, like two of his little, like smaller Break sessions. Up. Yeah. And it was, speci- I mean, it was definitely geared towards pornography. Like, and like just it's a, I what did it was like evangelization in a sex, sexualized culture or I don't know, something like that. But he, so he was, he was talking specifically around like sexual addictions and, um, you know, a lot about pornography specifically. But he said something that really stuck out to me and he talked about how oftentimes like people that have been just like really had a struggle with that for years and years and years like he said oftentimes as they get older like 40 or 50 he said not always but like it will after the course of 30 years of like kind of trying to white knuckle it he's like yeah that might actually you might actually get there you know of of getting over it in that way but it was just and it wasn't like his main point but he said you know it doesn't have to take that long at all like that's kind of the good news of the work that he was doing specifically in that area uh was just sometimes telling people like oh no like it doesn't you know there is there is actually ways for like healing and and you know all all of that that doesn't have to take 20 years or 30 years um and so i don't know i mean i I just kind of thought of it in terms of what does it take to learn a lesson that i mean that's a totally different context than like your story this morning, Mike, but I thought that was interesting anyway of like, it doesn't have to necessarily take forever. Um, but that's oftentimes how it is of, yeah, you live your high school years just trying to catch that dang van, tell mom to slow down, you know? (laughs) Well, I think this comes up in parenting too. Like how do you get a kid to, to change their behavior? Uh, through punishment or reward or taking things away that they like or giving them things for doing the right thing. I mean, the idea is always to make them live the ordered life, live the good life, but uh, our motivations are so mixed. I remember there was a pot, I think it was Radiolab, they were talking about this group of behavioral scientists trying to figure out the best way to like, to basically change public behavior, you know, get people to stop smoking, get people to eat better, exercise, things like that, do things that will make them happier. Because most of the time, as a rule, we do things that make us unhappy or unhealthy. And I can't remember everything. This is very poorly researched. And it was a long time ago I listened to it. But it was something like the most, uh, most effective thing you can do is change a person's circumstances. Like we try to motivate people a lot and be like, you can do this. Come on. Um, change, be better. And most people, well, especially when it comes to themselves, they'll like, they'll take care of their kids or their dog, but, um, with themselves, even if it's like something so simple as take medicine, a lot of times people will not do it for kind of dumb reasons like, Oh, well, I don't want to pick up my prescription or 
you know, make excuses for yourself and you can just do that tomorrow. Um, you don't feel as much responsibility for your own health or well-being. But if you just put yourself in a different circumstance, like, I mean, this is the whole deleting the YouTube app or or things like trick yourself into not doing, not falling into bad habits or or force yourself into a position where you have to, like, you make a commitment to somebody else. Like, hey, I'll meet you at the gym tomorrow at 6 a.m. or something before work. And then you feel a little bit, a little bit more obligation to do that. But no, it's really hard to, hard to do that. You know, what does it take? What did, what did Sean Kilcally say was the, was the way to change faster? Do you remember? Oh, I don't remember. I mean, his whole stuff is just like healing the, you know, healing the person properly. So it's, I mean, his stuff, it seems to be, and I don't know, that's the only time I've heard him talk, but like, a deep, deep level of like self knowledge and self acceptance, and then like actually asking for grace to go into those places. So he he is a really, really cool mix of what I would call like a properly integrated like psychology and spirituality. Mm-hmm. At least the time I heard him talk, I was like, that guy just he knows what he is talking about. He knows what he's about, yeah. you know, and. Yeah, he's very um, good. So it it was interesting. I remember again. This could be something, um, like not around that specific line, but he was talking about like in preaching, um, because there was a lot of priests and campus ministers in in the room. But he was talking about specifically in preaching. The line he used that really struck me. He was like, "You have to start to learn how to preach like right into the wound," and he said, "Even good preachers, you know, even like." you know, guys that are like really on the ball with some of this stuff that's really like probably plaguing or like at least weighing on, you know, a high percentage of the people in, in the pews. And so that could be stuff other than pornography, obviously. But he, um, he was just talking about like, you have to learn how to actually talk like right into that wound and not around it and not in cliche, like terminology, et cetera. Mm. Um, and I, I remember being really struck by, that uh that was a way it was just like a tangible way for me to like think about it and pray on and to like work on of okay i have no like psychological background you know and and he he was good about like how to find good counselors and and stuff like that but that's something i could do in that like i don't know to help people i think in the like the spiritual side have you um, tried that of it yeah i i gave um I'm trying to think. I remember after it, I kind of honestly, it kind of was. It's on. It's been on the back burner for a while. Um, but I remember I gave one homily like a few weeks after Seek, and I, I have no idea. I don't remember what the the scripture readings um, were or anything like that. But I just tried to like name. It was at, it was out at Newman uh, specifically, and in it, I was. Just, it was just about identity and like you know seeing yourself as Jesus sees you. And I just decided like as opposed to like saying sin or like struggles, I just named a few things. So like a few of the things I named in there of like, yeah, you could think in the back of your mind, maybe even like you've never articulated this to yourself, but like, no, I've slept with too many people to like really be forgiven or I have too much of a struggle like with pornography and masturbation to like, to really like actually be a disciple, like in, in my depths, you know, that's always going to be just lingering 
there. Or like I've cut myself too many times or I have, you know, I've had um, too many thoughts about taking my own life. And I just kind of like went through a litany of stuff like that that I think is on and, and not like everyone for every person. But in a group of college students, a lot of that stuff is going through through heads of kind of like in quiet moments and moments of like, I don't know, maybe like seemingly honesty of kind of like when silence, like some of that stuff come up is just these lies that we believe is like, well, because of this, um, like, no, that's I'll never like really, truly let myself believe that I'm loved completely. Um you know, at least, at least in like my most honest moments, that lie is there. Um, so as opposed to just saying it like that, I just tried to name a few things and it was very well. Re- I mean, a lot of people like at least gave compliments to it after. Um, so I don't know like the fruits of it, but does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You're making me think of this talk that I listened to Scott Harder gave out in Nebraska about healing of memories that I will post in the description uh it's a facebook video of his uh parish the cathedral in grand island um where i texted him i said this is like the first time healing of memories has really made sense to me because he he talked about it in a way that was very i mean particular to his own experience and some people that he knows that gave him permission to kind of share their story and um you know how Scott is like very, very vulnerable. Uh, it's kind of his mm-hmm. trademark and yeah, it's very, it was really good. Um, but a lot of times what happens with that to me is, uh, it's a little over familiar with God, you know, like God acts this way or that way. And I don't know, my mind has always been a little bit more on the intellect side than the heart side, mm-hmm. uh, the way I think about God and, like I want to preserve, you know, the the orthodoxy, the transcendence, or or whatever. And um, sometimes people like charismatics will talk about God like he's their uncle or something, you know. Um, but that personal relationship, like that, when somebody's felt that God has addressed their own particular stuff in a way that they can receive it uh, in their own particular personality, they know God. Uh, intimately and yet he's totally transcendent holy other um and can do whatever he wants and we don't just get to call him whatever we want you know yeah he's not Uh, a tame lion right exactly um he just did a really good job at that i thought so you guys didn't see that did you no i haven't seen it one of the lines that one of the lines that struck me was uh he was talking about a memory of his uh, when his parents got divorced and just being in the room, him dad, his dad telling him this thing and, uh, uh, the father and Mary being there with him as he was remembering it in his imagination. And that also always kind of that, that sort of thing. I would be like, well, when I would try it, I mean, it sounds convincing when other people say it, but I would try it and it would just feel like make believe, you know, am I just imagining Jesus? hugging me or something, you know, but I mean, when you hear someone like Scott tell a story like that, you're like, okay, this is obviously, this was a life changing meditation for him. And the way he he phrased it was very striking. He said, now I can never remember that 
thing, which was very painful without them being there. Um, and the truth of the matter was that they were there. Like it wasn't make believe it was that God revealing to him that that was what was happening the whole time was I was with you feeling this with you caring about it. You were not alone and you made all sorts of vows based on beliefs. Like I can't depend on people or, um, I can't depend on God or, or, you know, don't get too attached because people leave those sort of lies that make you kind of ball up and um, close off the thing that makes you human, which is, you know, needing others, being dependent. You're made in the image of God. You can't like your life doesn't make sense alone. Um, but that's the that's the evil that happens with wounds. And what a lot of times I think makes you turn to addictive behavior or, or self-soothing things that are ultimately self-defeating. And then you, 30 years later, you're like, okay, finally, this is easy for me to stop, but it's not because I dealt with the root cause of it, but maybe just because that instinct or my libido is like dying down or, or whatever. Yeah. But the root cause of it is not addressed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what that's you think maybe what that looks like. Yeah. What did you, what did you ask, Rob? What are you thinking? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it's uh, well, it did make me think of a buddy who he passed away early in my seminary years, and it was a it was a really formative, pretty much life changing experience where I'd never had a close buddy die before, and I came home for his funeral, and it was a similar thing that the priest said that changed how I thought about his his passing so it was it was kind of a it was a traumatic it was pretty pretty tragic death I mean he died young and it wasn't around good circumstances um you know he had kind of had like a little he had a troubled past for sure um but the priest said that you know this guy when he was growing up he had gone to all these catholic summer camps and he was one of my one of my best friends growing up and we got into all sorts of shenanigans um, there were good shenanigans at the time, but then when we got older, our shenanigans kind of changed where his, his became a bit more on the adult side. Um, and we just sort of drifted apart. And, and then when I came home for the funeral, um, this priest was saying, yeah, look like this guy, he may have, he may have died alone in his room. But all growing up, like he had received the sacraments and he had gone to mass and like many of you out there had prayed rosaries with with him. You had prayed the Hail Mary, which ends, you know, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. And like whether or not. Oh, shoot. I shouldn't have said his name. Whether or not he believed it at his death um, doesn't make any difference. Like the fact is that the blessed mother was there that like all these folks were there praying for him. And it just changed the entire way I saw his death was that like he didn't die alone. And I think that was a big fear that everybody had was that, yeah, he was alone in darkness and no one was there with him. And he just passed without a thought, without a word, without a care, without anyone loving him. And that's a huge lie. It's just totally untrue. And 
actually the homily opened up the rest of the mass in the in a way that I had never really seen the mass before. So even at like at the point of consecration, um, you know, we we talk about like Jesus come and dying to save those who who died uh, with no one to pray for them, with those who died alone, who died in sin, who died in darkness, who were like living in a life of death, like Christ came to die for them. And his homily led and kind of like unveiled the reality of the rest of mass so that I saw like the Eucharist and the consecration in this way that was meant like Jesus coming to save my buddy. And I don't know obviously what happened there, but it was preaching the reality of, of what was actually going on, which is we have all these advocates. We have a God that never abandons you. And we have a God that literally came to die just for him. And if that's true, then it changes the whole circumstance. It changes the whole situation that he wasn't alone, that he did have people who loved him, that he does have a Lord who came and died for him. And the big lie is that like, this was so bad that God wasn't even there. Mm. And that's just totally untrue. And I think there's a lot of, and so like if God is there in that darkness, then it, it gave me courage to come back and like kind of opened up parts of my own heart that I had never felt before. I had never mourned like that before. And I think it was partly because I had never had a, a death like that in, in my life before. But I had also, I don't know if I had been able to trust that it was okay to go and mourn there, like to let that suffering sink in. But the Lord had already showed, even I am here. And the evil one is is a big fat liar and he's an idiot. And he's going to try and tell you that that's his ground. Like that was his circumstance. And that's just not true. That that was actually the Lord's. And so... Yeah, I guess that would that just all came to my memory. Um, but it changed the way that I looked at everything when he spoke truth right into the darkness of a situation and like really claimed it as Jesus's. Yeah, I, what I, th- I think that is a big lie is like, oh, that was that was the time where I abandoned God and then the devil took over and he did all of his work, which for sure like that <laughs> the evil one can act and in influence. But the Lord is always there and so being able to reclaim these moments of darkness with light um like giving them to the lord yeah it just kind of opened up a lot of different stuff that i had never seen before um and gave me trust that the lord that i could go there with the lord yeah dang man i feel like it's all the yeah yeah I think I had talked about it on the podcast when it when it happened. I don't know if we were podcasting regularly, but I'm pretty sure I've talked about it before. Um, but I feel like this is actually somehow all kind of connected to that same question as like, not how long does it take to learn a lesson, but like what does it take yeah. to really trust? I don't know. I don't. I don't. I guess I don't really know the question, but. I feel like a lot of this stuff is connected. I don't really know how, but no, I think I I see it as I mean that's well one that's a, literally a perfect example of I think that notion of like preaching or speaking into the wound of the like he just spoke 
the actual truth were like right into that very, very difficult situation, that priest that you're talking about yeah. in that homily, which that's it, man. Um, but I don't know. I mean, even, yeah, I think that that's a really cool question that kind of spurred, you know, the whole, the whole thing of like, what does it take to, to learn a lesson? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I think you can jump like pretty easily to that of like, whether it's a lesson or a truth or whatever you want to call it, but like, what does it take like it to actually like believe that, that there isn't a place dark enough that Jesus isn't there, you know, like that, maybe that, maybe it's just a specific lesson, yeah. you know, that we're talking about, but like kind of the umbrella question, it seems to me still to be there as a really good one. Well, not to get all theoretical about it, but I, I always think about um, when I think about my own life and the ways that have actually helped me change for the better. Um, it's that, what is it, Bernard Lonergan has the hermeneutical circle of see, judge, act. You remember this in Theological Reflection? Yeah, I don't remember if it was Lonergan. But yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, so, dude. Yeah, but I, yes, yeah, I, I, I remember it being kind of it sounded like a lot of gobbledygook at the time, but I've gone back to it because I think it's somewhat illuminating uh, that we tend to see the world and then judge its value. You know, we make some observation about life like, Oh, when I get eight hours of sleep, I'm much happier uh, than I, I judge. That's a thing that's worth doing. And then I act on it. I make sure I get to bed on time and, and sleep the full eight hours. That's a simple example, but there's a lot of things like that, you know, God exists or, you know, that's a judgment uh, after looking at the world's beauty or something. And now I'm going to change my actions because of that judgment. Um, that's just the way human beings are in the world. They see, they judge, they act. And, it, and, and then when you act, you see different, you know, like you change your actions and then you see different things. You know, you get up in the morning earlier than you did when you were in college and, and you see the world differently. And then that makes more judgments and it just the circle keeps going. But um, his point, well, I think, was that you enter the hermeneutical circle through act, not through seeing or judging. Mm. Um, you have to you have to choose to act first in order to even see, and then judge, and then r rinse and repeat. Um, so that, to me, is the is the rub. Why it's so difficult to change, I think, is because you have to just change. You know, you have to quit. Um, this is to, <laughs> was your challenge to get me to bring up uh, Addiction and Grace by Gerald May? Because I'm just about to do it. Um, <laughs> Winning. <laughs> that's that's his whole thing. Like the way to stop doing a, an addictive behavior is to simply stop. It's not easy, but it's simple. You just stop feeding um, this attachment and it won't go away right away. Sometimes physically, you're still addicted certainly psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually that the wound needs to get tended to. But first, you need to stop. And then, um, I mean, there's the prevenient grace. And even even that, the grace to ask for the grace is a grace. Um, you know, none of it's a, a solo project of you figuring out what you need to be a better person and just doing it on your own. That's I mean, like you said, maybe over 30 years you can do that. But even Ben Franklin with his little virtue list, every time he tried to perfect one aspect of his personality, some half dozen others got all messed up. Like, yeah, 
it's an exercise in futility to try to perfect the human, the fallen human person. But uh, you do need to start, you know, you need to, and this is like the whole thing with faith, you know, how do you, how do you get the gift of faith uh, if you are having trouble believing, you know, but you want to believe, but you have to like go to church. You have to, even if you don't believe, you have to pray and then something might happen, you know. Yeah, I guess it's it's like putting yourself in the in a place to be found, putting yourself in the circumstances where God can show you something, and then you can see, and then make a judgment, and then uh, act more, you know, in accord with with what's been revealed to you. But that, to me, is what makes it difficult. It's not like, oh, I had this great prayer experience, and now now it's easy to be good. I've never had that happen to me. Yeah, uh, it always starts with. Like, I'm going to go out on a limb here and trust that this is actually the case, that God's going to show up in this difficult circumstance. And then he does, and you're like, oh, great. And then that leads to further acts of trust. But the trust, it never stops being an act of trust, is my point. Like, you, you're you not going in blind because you, you have a good reason to believe that this is the case, that God exists, that he's faithful, that his grace is victorious over temptation and stuff like that. But... Um, there's no point at which you're just like, all right, now I'm fully healed and I'm free to always be good. Um, there's always that gnawing doubt that requires you to act in the face of it against the doubt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Two questions. One. Yeah. Take your best shot at answering just why we all relate to the Metzes not being able to find their pants in the morning to get to the thing, <laughs> to get to the thing, man. Mm-hmm. And two, like, how do you, and just curious of like, how do you preach? How would you preach on that to actually like, yeah, talk in specifics, not in cliches, like trying to like, just get that across to uh, people in the pews. Hmm. Slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Do you remember, remember what's that show? Uh, what's it called? Modern Family, where the guy's doing a fire drill, like trying to get emergency prepared at the house. And like when you're when you're going crazy in the morning trying to find your pants is not the time when it's going to be easy to find your pants. You have to be calm and move slow. Because what happens when I'm in a rush in the morning is that that's when I hit my head on the sink or like miss a belt loop or do something stupid because I'm rushing, you know, but, uh, Mm -hmm. the calmness, I don't know the answer to your question, but it's, uh, that's fine. That's fine. I wasn't uh, really looking for an answer. (laughs) You're just the question, man. I'm the question, man. Yeah. You're just the, the you're the gadfly, the provocateur. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mets asked the first question here. That's true. Let's let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Rob, you do ask some great questions. You do. I was telling that the other that to somebody the other day. Well, oh, Rob just thanks. asked. You do. They're good questions. I mean, mine was the best today, so Obviously. it's not a competition, but I sort of won. If it were. <laughs> uh, before no, the hard I, stop, I have a couple things. Go ahead, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is going to be a really intense end, but. I legitimately think there is, because I'm a masochist and I love pain and suffering. Um, no, that's not true. But <laughs> I learn a lot of lessons through suffering. Like, 
I don't think I can believe something. Well, that's not true. I can believe something without suffering, but there's just something about the experience of, yeah, suffering in, in whatever way, whether it's physical or emotional or psychological or spiritual. And, you know, as long as it is intended by God, um, like I, I have found a lot of benefit in actually allowing like myself either to grieve it or to actually experience the suffering of like being, being a buffoon, um, where I finally let like a lesson kind of settle in. And I think what would happen oftentimes when I was younger is I would just blow through it and just say like, Oh, whatever, on to the next thing. And I wouldn't allow the fullness of the experience to actually be felt or to be internalized. And because of that, I would just rinse, I would repeat, I would just do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, and I've actually found a lot of, a lot of freedom in letting like whatever these lessons are, you know, whatever that means, um, in each particular circumstance to actually be internalized and to actually be felt and, but felt not alone but felt with the Lord. Um, I, there's something about that. There's something about like not blowing through to the next thing. Um, I was just out in Colorado. Dang. Well, okay. So I was in Colorado and there's a lot of people who do a, a lot of drugs out there and it kind of freaked me out. And like, I think a lot of those things are types of escape mechanisms that, that, allow you to not experience uh, some of the difficulties of life. And because of that, it kind of allows you to skip across the water of life, like just kind of onto the next thing and onto the next thing, which is a, a very broad generalization and kind of like a cliche culture statement. Like, man, everyone just instant gratification. But I also think it's a little bit true um, to like actually dive into some of the the turbulent waters of life just to kind of use that image um that's something that i've found helps helps me to internalize what i what i think the lord is trying to work within me um in a much deeper much quicker much healthier way instead of just skipping across uh the surface but like actually allowing that stuff to sink in um i mean oftentimes occurs yeah through through suffering there, but it reminds me of something you said a few weeks ago. <laughs> we we're talking about something similar. We always talk about the same thing, but whatever people we still do listen. always talk. We do. Um, you said allowing yourself to feel the pain of not being God or something. Mm. Um, I think that's it. I was like you, uh, Johannes Baptiste Metz, your namesake, um, John Metz. That book is a poverty of spirit short little yeah. red book and he talks about the native poverty of humanity that only Christ actually was willing to live and experience most perfectly on the cross that actually like the I thirst thing, what it means to be human is to be totally empty and dependent on God and the world he made to feed us. Um, but we refuse to be poor. We refuse to be hungry. We feed ourselves with all sorts of, of things that we can control, but, Christ was willing to completely surrender that, you know, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God, he, he 
experienced for us and now in us what it means to be human, which is to be poor. And that is what, I mean, you do have to experience suffering, not in the meaningless and kind of dumb suffering of, um, yeah, just being hungry for hunger, hunger's sake, but to learn dependence and then so jo- enter into joy, but without this disease of needing to like possess and control and be curved in on ourselves and yeah, soothe our own needs but to allow God to feed us. But that all you always have to pass through, pass through suffering. There's no shortcut. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say it's like suffering is not good because it hurts. No, I think accepted suffering re- received suffering is like the Lord, he's working in you and that hurts. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's Mondo and he's perfect and he's like a hot fire. And so to accept the suffering of him coming into you is that's his sancti- that's sanctification I think in a lot of ways so this isn't like a self-imposed I, I, I don't want to propose that that suffering don't is not hear good what we're not saying yeah <laughs> but to accept suffering I is that's to be sanctified I'm yeah I don't know I don't know All what right. I'm talking about a couple things before hot we fire. before we sign out hot fire um fam the everybody who ordered a t-shirt probably knows this but they're out they should be in the next day or two uh at people's doorsteps the t-shirts and hoodies um i released that music it'll actually be on spotify and everything tomorrow but it's already up on Bandcamp for stream for free or purchase at the price of your choice all proceeds go into st john paul ii newman center the why we why the water came EP. I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's at Bandcamp. Um, and actually, coolly, is that a word? An adverb? Coolly. Uh, yeah. Jared Zimmer of Word on Fire uh, sent me some interview questions about it, so that article should be up on Word on Fire tomorrow about the yes. album. Um, so, and then finally. I'm playing live with Miss Magunia herself, Megan, formerly Miller, and now, embarrassingly, I can't remember her new name. Yeah. Congratulations, Megan. Yeah, she got married uh, this past year and is expecting, which is very exciting. Awesome. Um, Congratulations. No way. She's coming up from her uh, place down south and is going to sing with me, uh, a la the Blue Island show, but at the Lagunitas Brewing Company on Monday night for like holy happy hour event fundraiser for Newman as well. But if you're in Chicago, come on out, uh, which is neither of you guys, but maybe somebody's listening. I'll put the link in that for that. I'm as back well. down South, baby. You're Ooh, in the South. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, that cool. rocks, Connor. Yeah. Congratulations. Thanks. Okay. I do need to get going. All right. Drink yeah, Guadalupe great, great. coffee. Guadalupe roastery. Guadalupe coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget Guadalupe roastery. Man, it is so good. It That's is very true. good. All right, guys. Well, good talk. Mike, enjoy Malaysia. Yeah, you guys too. It's How the long Malaysia are remix edition. Are we not going to podcast next week? Not going to Malaysia. Um, I'll <laughs> Where are you be going? going until the 25th. He's going to Malaysia. Let him talk. Yeah. <laughs> Singapore, you know, the Prime Minister of Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> the Prime Minister of Malaysia. <laughs> no, I'm going to be 
uh, partying. I mean, missioning. I mean, vacationing. Missioning. In... Oh, I love that word. It's a <laughs> verb now. <laughs> Dude, my life is church. <laughs> <laughs> Obey my dog. Um, what are you going? Oh, how long I'm, are you I'm, going? I'm going to St. Lucia, and I'll be there until the 24th or 25th. So, hey, legitimately, pray for our mission group. I, these trips are so awesome. Yeah, and they great, man. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. All right, peace, guys. All right, later, okay, Mike. See you, man. See you, Rob. Bye. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisque, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.